It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 339 of Locked On Raptors for Monday, May 28th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of LockedOnRaptors.com and RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode. Make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network as well. Team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. You got Locked On Fantasy with Josh Lloyd. You got Locked On NBA with David Locke. Uh, and that show also has daily episodes with a bunch of different hosts from across the network, including Josh Lloyd, the fantasy guy, uh, hosts the Monday episode of Locked On NBA, where he talks with uh, a group of uh, three of the Locked On Network hosts about what's going on uh, in the league at the time. So today uh, he talked with the Locked On Rockets host, the Locked On Warriors host, and the Locked On Cavs host, our pal uh, Chris Manning, to talk about Game 7 tonight and also uh, LeBron's ridiculous <laughs> Game 7 performance performance against the Celtics last night. Uh, so make sure if you want to hear the local angle and all those stories, you check out Locked on NBA. And also, please subscribe, rate, review Locked on Raptors on iTunes. It's the easiest way to help out the show, show that you care. Uh, it takes no time at all. It's the best way to do it. And uh, I am forever indebted to everyone who's done it so far. Some very nice comments on there recently, which I very much appreciate. Uh, and uh, please join the party. It's a lot of fun. All right, on today's show. Continuing our player reviews because there's still no news about the head coaching search, so we might as well just keep these things going, I suppose. And we're going to do a double shot today because why not? It's DeLon Wright and Jakob Pertl, the the gang of Utes, uh, our favorite Utah boys. And uh, to join me to talk about Jakob Pertl and DeLon Wright's seasons, it's our pal Sahal Abdi. How's it going, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm, I'm happy we're talking about these two guys. They both had phenomenal seasons. A um, little bit of a drop-off in the playoffs, but we'll get into it more. I guess about that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, these guys were, I guess, among the group of people who, or among the group of players who coming into the year were expected to take on an enormous role with the departures of all the veterans last summer. And, you know, in, let's start with DeLon Wright, I suppose, because he, I think, probably carried a little bit little bit more expectation than Yak. He was, you know, scheduled to be the sort of the, the go-to backup point guard before Fred Van Vliet kind of took the, took over the scene and really sort of made it a, a two-headed monster in the backcourt for that second unit. Um, Wright kind of benefited from Norman Powell stinking most of the season, so I think he soaked up a lot of those minutes. But Wright's spot in the rotation was far more 
uh, sort of tenuous than I think Van Vliet's was. There were games where Wright would, you know, check in late or not check in at all. Um, once they established the second unit, it kind of went away. But, you know, his minutes were up and down in the early part of the season, um, despite, I thought, him being pretty good. And I really enjoyed, you know, I, I may not have enjoyed watching the minutes of, one, of a player this season more than DeLon Wright. So, Hall, let's start with the good stuff. What about DeLon Wright's season did you uh, most like or were you most impressed by? Um, I think DeLon Wright had an interesting year. I think he started off pretty good, uh, backing up Kyle Lowry. He had a little shoulder problem. I believe he separated his shoulder. Yeah. Um, he was gone for about a month. I think he missed 13 games or so, 14 mm-hmm. games. Um, and he came back, and I remember one of the first couple games, I think it was versus the Chicago Bulls, he had one of his best games of the year. Um, so one thing I really, uh, I think, appreciate about DeLon Wright, and, and, and it's, it's a similar quality that you see throughout uh, most of the bench mob, is that uh, these guys are very, uh, uh, I guess you could say temperamental. They, they, they keep the same, they, they carry themselves like veterans on the court. Mm-hmm. And I think DeLon Wright uh, has been going back and forth with Fred Van Fleet. Um, Dwayne Casey found a really good way to use uh, all three guards uh, really well this year, including Kyle Lowry um, and obviously Fred. But I think with DeLon, he offers things that Kyle and Fred don't. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a lengthy guy. He has a long wingspan. He, you can put him on a three. You can put him on a two. You can put him on a one. Um, he's a very good playmaker. I think one uh, very uh, – this is probably the thing I appreciated most about DeLon Wright was um, – his comfort, his comfortability in the pick and roll this year. Mm-hmm. He seemed to really, especially with Yak and Siakam when he played with that bench mob, he really seemed to increase his, I guess you could say, his court vision. Um, it wasn't, he didn't look as indecisive when he was driving into the lane um, as the couple years before that. Um, he just really carried himself like a veteran on the court. Um, And I'm really, really excited for his future with Toronto Raptors. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, I think the thing that I was most impressed by that I maybe wasn't expecting to be impressed by was his ability to finish around the rim. I mean, if you think about last year in sort of his first extended run as a pro, really, when Kyle Lowry got hurt, there were a lot of instances of DeLon kind of getting around the rim and just sort of being a little bit hesitant, a little bit scared almost to go up and, and try to score on somebody around the basket. Uh, this season, he went from shooting 56% uh, in his previous two years up to 52, sorry, uh, 62%, 63% uh, from zero to three feet. So he bumped that up pretty significantly. And just he, his finishing became one of the more exciting parts of his game. He had these weird finishes. He sort of, you know, adopted the Corey Joseph sort of reverse finishes as well. Um, and that was something that I was really concerned about at the start of, or, or at the end of last season, considering that, you know, the Raptors 
really didn't have a whole lot in the way of guys who were sort of multifaceted rim attackers, right? They had yeah. Corey Joseph, for example, or Norm Powell, who were very much sort of designed to go and score at the rim. Uh, they weren't much for, for kicking out. Obviously, DeMar DeRozan refined himself to the point where he was a really good kickout passer. But, you know, I think you need that, that element uh, with DeLon this season to sort of come into form, and it really did. And he became just like a really good driving kick guy who could also go to the rim and sort of vary things up. So that refined finishing was very nice to see. Also, just like the three-point shooting, man. Like it yeah, was yeah. a very underrated part of his game, and it wasn't really an overstated part of his game either. I mean, just two point two attempts this year, but thirty-six percent from the field. Uh, sorry, from three this year, and then in the playoffs, he hit like a ton of really big threes. He shot thirty, or what the hell did he shoot in the playoffs? Blah blah blah. Uh, he shot forty-three percent from deep in the playoffs on two point one attempts. And the sort of it, I think in the playoffs, you know, to add to your sort of point about him and the pick and roll comfortability, I think we kind of saw him, especially in that wizard series, get more comfortable as a pull-up shooter, which wasn't really a thing that had happened. And it's still, it's like not the quickest release. And like, I think it was very much a product of the wizards aggressively going under on screens against him. But you saw that sort of come around near the end of the year where he was okay to pull up around a screen and and, and just instead of you know, those, those threes where he was standing on the wing and or in the corner and it would take him three seconds to launch it and he would do it because no one was guarding him, uh, I think he kind of got a little bit more of a quick trigger later in the season and hopefully that continues to develop because it's really important, especially in that second unit where there's not a ton of shooting um, for you know DeLon to be able to shoot and, and I think you know that opens up a lot of opportunities. It opens up a lot of lineup possibilities for the Raptors as well if he can continue to be a pretty good three-point shooter on reasonable volume you know you can play him next to DeMar and Kyle and not be too worried about the spacing you can sort of keep him as sort of a bigger defensive option as opposed to Fred Van Vliet because I think a big reason why Fred got into those crunch time lineups this season alongside Kyle and DeMar was that he was just a better shooter than, than DeLon and more reliable to sort of you know make some offense on his own whereas I think as you, at the end of the year you saw DeLon sort of start to figure that stuff out um Sorry, you. I think you were trying to jump in there with a point. What were you going to say? Yeah, I was going to say, one thing you you like about DeLon, right, is that when a guy approaches his third years, that, that's probably where you want to see that jump. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that jump. And, and I think with DeLon, a lot of people saw in his first few years, he had that capability of defensive disruption. We all knew that. He was long-armed. The guy disrupts passing lanes. But I think another thing... The most important part of DeLon's game, I think, in his third year was his development on the offensive side. Mm -hmm. We already mentioned the three-point shooting. We mentioned he shot a little bit of a better percentage from 42% to 46% um, from the field. 36%, which means he's no longer a liability, I think you can say, from the three-point line. Um, His free throw percentage went up 76% to 83%. Mm -hmm. So, And I know it's only 1.7 attempts per game, but um, I think that's a good enough sample size over 69 games. For him to, for you to say that, hey, this guy uh, really worked on his free throw shooting. Um, eight points, three rebounds, three assists in 20 minutes. Um, Delon Wright's the type of guy where he may never be um, a consistent um, top level starter in the league, but he's definitely going to have a role in the league. The guy's six five, almost I think six six almost, um, and he's a guard. So mm-hmm. this, this is something that, um, this is the jump that I think most Raptors fans wanted to see with a guy like Norman Powell, but they got to see it with DeLon Wright instead. 
Yeah, and I think I talked about this on the OG Ananobi episode last week about just sort of how, you know, we've seen in these playoffs how having switchable defenders is kind of what you want at this point across all positions, right? And the Raptors kind of lack that. I mean, we saw in the playoffs just how badly they got destroyed on mismatches by the Cavs, but... DeLon, I think, fits in while he maybe can't, you know, switch on to more physical guys. He can guard probably three positions pretty reasonably well with some tougher matchups maybe giving him some trouble. But that's like a a skill set that none of the Raptors' other guards have, and I think that makes him super valuable and why... Like, if you're looking at this offseason and, you know, there's the conversations about, like, like, consolidating some of the youth to try to bring in another piece, like, I would be cautious to do that with DeLon because I think his skill set is very much, uh, you know, attuned to what the modern NBA kind of requires. And DeLon's such a weird case because he's 26. (laughs) Like, he is not a young dude. He's only in his third year, and he more than doubled his career minutes total this season from his prior two years. And it's I have a really hard time gauging where his development's going to go from here because like there's a very reasonable chance that this is just what he is. He's a very good backup point guard who's a good defender, going to have some issues as sort of a quick fire three point shooter, and might have some consistency issues. But overall, he's you know a pretty useful guy and a guy that you want to have on your team and who's capable of flourishes. You mentioned that Bulls game. I mean, man, that game was incredible. I was. Uh, working during that game at my other job at McMaster and I was sitting there it was my first day on the job I'm pretty sure and I'm sitting there like trying to pay attention to the McMaster game that I'm doing the PA for and I keep yeah. looking down at my phone and seeing DeLon has 15 and 10 or like or 23 and 15 whatever he finished with like it was just like what's going on right now in Chicago? And, like, he's capable of these really fun things. I mean, Eric Kareen dubbed him the greatest basketball player on earth. Like, that's, he, he he's just, like, a really fun guy to watch who's capable of really interesting and sort of quirky flourishes that most guys aren't really capable of, whether it's his defense, his blocks on point guards, uh, the steals that he pokes free. He just does a lot of really sort of offbeat kind of fun things that are just, like, Maybe he is not a top-level player or whatever, but he provides, like, a lot of just, like, sub- sublime entertain- entertainment during the regular season. Definitely. And and I, just going back to that Chicago game, uh, I thought it was one of his first games back from injury. It was his 10th game back from injury. Yeah. Um, the Raptors won by 9, but DeLon Wright was a plus 28 in that game. <laughs> 25 points, 13 assists, and 10 rebounds. So on 10 for 15 shooting in just 29 minutes. So... That was, I think, undoubtedly one of the best games of the year for him, if not the best. Wait, wait, he had a triple-double in that game? He did, yeah. No. So No, um, he had uh, five assists, 13 boards, sorry, 10, sorry. 10 defensive Thir- boards. Yeah, yeah, I read it wrong. Also, four steals. 13, 13 <laughs> rebounds, yeah, yeah, my eyes are deceiving me. This is um, the plain but, basketball reference, it's stupid. Yeah, <laughs> and it's crazy, like a plus 28 in a game you only win by nine. Yeah. So DeLon had a huge impact in that game. He had a huge impact for the Raptors the entire regular season um, and into the Wizards series as well. So um, for the Raptors, to uh, for him to be, I believe he, you said uh, earlier he was, um, he was uh, what was it? He was here for an extension or something? Yeah, he's right. up for an extension this summer, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was up for an extension. So I think you look at Fred Van Vliet, he's also a restricted free agent. You have these two guys who, uh, Kyle Lowry's 31. Mm. About 32. I think he's 32 now. Is he 32? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. And, and you have DeLon and Fred, and a, and a lot of guys. Uh, I have some friends of mine who are diehard Raptors fans, and they want uh, the Raptors to choose one of the two, and they don't believe that they can kind of 
sign both and still have the capability of getting um, a, a star, uh, which is what the Raptors definitely, I think, need to get to that next level. They could, again, run it back. We've talked about this before. They could run it back um, with a similar core as last year and probably achieve similar results. Um, but getting back to DeLon Wright, I definitely think that he was one of the most crucial parts to the Raptors' season uh, just because the bench played their absolute butts off the mm-hmm. entire year. And look, I mean, it's you don't really have to worry about DeLon just yet, right? Like, it's you can still kick the can down the road a little bit if you want. I, I, this summer, maybe they don't sign him to an extension. Maybe they want to yeah. see how Fred, that situation plays out. Um, and maybe they just look at DeLon and say he's 26. Maybe he's not going to develop beyond this. Maybe we want to wait before we commit long-term to him, which I would totally understand as well. And then so if you wait till the end of next season when he hits RFA, maybe someone you know sends an offer sheet his way, or maybe you can sort of extend him the qualifying offer, get another year out of that to see where he's at. And then by then, you're almost looking at like a 28, 29-year-old player, and you wonder how much it is. It, he's kind of a victim of coming into the league late and just not getting a lot of run early on because I... As good as I think DeLon is, I wonder how much information the Raptors are going to want on him before they commit to him for a long-term deal because he's had the shoulder issues as well. Um, It's not like he's had a clean bill of health through three seasons. And you kind of look at the health and you factor in that he's played just 123 career games and he's still sitting at like below 2,000 career minutes. And the sample size I don't think is going to be sort of there to warrant giving him uh, like, a, like a big extension this summer. I really don't. And I, I just think that the style of player that he is, he might be the kind of guy who is endeared to the fan base deeply and maybe you want to sort of you know lock him in long-term because you're attached to him. But I think the smart thing for the Raptors with DeLon, as much as it might limit DeLon's earning capabilities, which sucks, um, would be to just kind of let it let's, let's see how it plays out. Let him hit RFA, see what happens, and then if you can get him, like do the Marcus Smart thing, I guess, with the Celtics. Um, where they kind of are probably going to look at this summer. The, the you know maybe they extend him this summer. Maybe they give him a new contract. And maybe they just give him a qualifying offer in his fifth season, um, and sort of let him hit free agency the season after. But um, you know Delon, I, I think, kind of falls into that category where he's just not. There's not enough on him to say, yeah, definitely extend this guy. Yeah. If there's stuff that Delon needs to work on for next year to sort of maybe convince you that he's worth sort of a longer-term investment. What kind of stuff do you want to see from him next year? Um, I think a lot of it's going to come with opportunity mm-hmm. for Dillon, right? Um, he definitely is the type of guy where, like you said, you don't know if this is it. And if this is it for Dillon, right, in terms of his development, that's okay. That's great. He's a 20th pick. Yeah. That's great. It, exactly, yeah. And, and you look at a guy that's 26 years old, any – uh, NBA player in a general sense you look at that and you say okay this is when a guy should be hitting his prime DeLon Wright is only in his third season mm-hmm. right he's already 26 so um, Masai is kind of in a tough position with uh, a guy like DeLon Wright um, same thing with uh, a similar he was in a similar situation with Norman Powell last offseason Norman's a little bit of an older guy for a guy who's just in his third year as well um, and he got re-signed as well so um, I think eventually down the road, DeLon Wright uh, will probably re-sign with the Raptors. That's that's just my bet. Um, but again, there's no rush that Masai Ujiri or the rest of the front office has to get this done uh, ASAP or um, overpay or overspend. Marcus Smart, like you said, was a very, very good example. They can just handle it like the Celtics did and watch other guys develop and see how, um, I guess, their team just rounds out. Um, 
there's mm-hmm. no rush at all with Delon, right? But at the same time, I do feel like he's definitely an important piece to the rotation. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, and, you know, just to note, Norm was a second-round pick, so it's a little bit different for him. Bit, he, yeah, after two different. seasons, he had to sign the contract, blah, blah, blah. But, um, yeah, with the lawn, it's, it's really it's interesting because, honestly, you can kind of kick the can down the road far enough that it gets to the point where sort of the impending rebuild that this team is going to eventually come into you know, you can kind of choose whether you want whether or not you want him to be around long term, or whether or not maybe next summer things go similarly this season. The playoffs are a bit of a flame out. Whatever happens, maybe use Delon as sort of a way to kickstart the uh, the rebuilding process. Maybe next season at the deadline, perhaps it can be sort of a thing where you look at as an RFA. You know, maybe similar to like the Rodney Hood situation, where maybe the Jazz weren't totally sold on him being part of the team long term. Uh, whether it's you know, I think Hood has different reasons why that would be the case from Delon. Um, but like maybe that's a situation where the Raptors look at next year and say, hey, all right, maybe this is a way we can sort of get some stuff back to sort of kickstart whatever the next look at this team is going to be. Because by the time, you know, the 2021-2022 seasons come around, then you're kind of looking at DeLon being one of the older guys in the team. And I wonder just how much you want to invest in a guy like that. Like, what do you think DeLon, it's so hard to sort of gauge in this weird financial climate. And we'll wrap on DeLon in a sec. Um, but like, where do you think the lawn fits as like a salary? Like, what do you think he could command on the open market right now? Cause it's so hard to gauge for backup point guards at a position that's so saturated. Um, that's why I'm not worried about losing Fred Van Vliet this summer. Cause everyone has point guards and there's very few teams with cap space. And I just don't see teams going out of their way to get like a very good backup. Um, yeah. but like, I, I don't know. What do you see for the lawn as like a, a salary that you could, would be sort of comfortable with if you're the Raptors going forward? I mean, backup point guard money. It's, it's hard. It's hard to gauge that, like you said. Um, there's some guys around the league. I believe DJ Augustine's getting around the seven to eight million mark. Um, Corey Joseph too. Corey Joseph as well, exactly around that seven point five million mark. But I think for Delon, I think anywhere between six to maybe eight million mm-hmm. would be a good, would be a solid figure for him. Uh, maybe three three year contract I'd say uh, just so I think it'd be in best interest for him to sign a three year contract just because you don't want to sign a four five year contract next thing you know you're 30 years old yeah. um, and you're not even on your third NBA contract yet right so I think six to eight million would be a really solid figure for him definitely mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to think maybe it could reach that nine million figure I guess if it, they really stretch it out but Again, they signed Norman Powell to about $10 million per year um, last last offseason. So I think Masai Ujiri is really going to try and um, get his best bargain. And I think that's how he always works. Um, so I think $16 million is a solid figure for uh, DeLon Wright. Yeah, uh, we'll see on DeLon. Uh, excited for his season next year. I think next year will be very telling as to what kind of piece he's going to be for the Raptors going forward. Because that's hopefully when we'll get to flush up the sample a little bit more. Uh, let's move on to Jakob Pertl, who 
was really good this year and then was maybe the most disappointing player in the playoffs outside of, like, DeMar and Serge. Like, he was just borderline unplayable for large swaths of the playoffs. Both series, it just didn't really work. But in the regular season, I, I think the sort of more most instructive way to look at his regular season this year and his improvement is his per 36 numbers. Uh, went from 9.5 points per 36 to 13.4. He went from, or st- stuck around the same rebounding totals, both offensive and defense. But he went from 1.2 blocks to 2.4 blocks and also went from 0.7 assists to 1.3 assists. Uh, not the hugest total with the assist uh, in the assist department, but I think that kind of points to his improvement as a, a, a passer on the roll. Uh-huh. But the blocks, I, I think, and just sort of the the rim protection numbers this season were, I think, for me, the thing that impressed me most. I believe his numbers were right in line with Rudy Gobert and Joel Embiid in terms of rim protection, field goal percentage at the rim. Like that's insane. That's like that. That's high level stuff, and it, and it bore out. Like, I mean, that second unit was impossible to score on, and a lot of it was was Yak just being at the rim, uh, sort of there to contest everything. And you know, we make fun of how many fouls he picks up. He actually went down in fouls this season from six point five per thirty six to five uh, on the dot this season, which is still not great, obviously. And that's something that needs to be worked out with him. But maybe as that reputation as a rim protector grows. Maybe we'll see teams sort of or referees sort of respect that a little bit more and sort of give him a little bit, a little bit more, more leeway. Um, and then just also across the board, like he just he was a more efficient scorer. He shot 66% from the field, which is among the best in the league. He had a 17.5 PR, which is a flawed stat, but kind of tells you that he was really contributing when he was on the court. Um, what was your favorite Jakob Pertl thing this season? You know, the thing that he improved, thing that he did well. Uh, what do you, what do you got? I think it was his um, relentless, I, I guess, ability on the offensive rebounds throughout the whole season. Mm. And Yak was always that guy who never really came came down with it the first time. There was a lot of tip, 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 uh, and then finally get the rebound or tip it out to Kyle Lowry or whoever's out there. But I think just for a guy that's not the l- largest guy, uh, JV's still a bigger guy than Jakob Pertl. Uh, Jakob was going against guys like Andre Drummond and uh, big time guys um, every night and for him to be battling in the paint like that night in and night out um, not to mention the guy played 82 games mm-hmm. um, for for anyone to play 82 games that in and of itself is an accomplishment in an NBA season so uh, you could quite literally make the argument that Jakob Pertl was uh, bruising in there just mo- just about more than anyone on the team um, him and JV were incredible offensive rebounders all season long so I think for that, that and, and I think his screening ability, mm-hmm. uh, I think you saw in his first uh, year, he had a lot of offensive fouls on screens. He never really got set properly, um, and I think referees were kind of hounding him on that. This year, he got really good at setting his feet, setting a hard screen, rolling down. The guy has soft, kind of gluey hands, you could say, so mm-hmm. he never really missed anything, uh, throwing out oops and... I think for a guy like Jakob Pertl, it's definitely he has a really, really um, high potential. And, and the Raptors, it's, you have the thing about the Raptors is that you have a guy like Jakob Pertl, you have a guy like Delon Wright, Fred VanVleet, you have all these guys that um, would be probably the top backup, not the second best backup on any NBA team. Uh, so for Jakob, definitely for himself, he's seven feet, about two hundred fifty pounds. He's a bruiser. But one thing I don't want to see with Jakob is for him to put on weight yeah i think it'll take away from his mobility um 
one of the best things about Jakob is how active he is um, all over the floor. So I think for him to just stay at that weight and just kind of develop other parts of his game, maybe his mid-range game, um, his outside game a little, his touch around the basket, I think that's what I want to see from Jakob next season as well. Yeah, it's a tricky thing with Yak because I think you could argue that his biggest weakness is the fact that he kind of gets beat up on the glass and yeah. sort of, you know, he can get out-muscled in the post and stuff like that. And that happens in certain matchups for sure. And I think like Tristan Thompson, for example, pretty much owned him. Same with Marching oh. Gortat. But yeah. at the same time, the sort of spry nature of his defense and just his activity and his ability to sort of get out to the perimeter, that plays really well in the modern NBA. And yeah. like while that gets sort of exposed against certain matchups, I think you want to have a guy like that. I think of a lot with him, Clint Capella. And maybe he's not going to be quite as good as Clint, Clint Capella, not as explosive because Capella's already so damn good. But same sort of player where... Maybe their their weaknesses are sort of exposed in more of an old school style of game, and there can be certain matchups where it doesn't really work. And you know, even Capella against the Warriors has kind of been you know kind of an issue out there because he's not the greatest playmaker and stuff like that. And sort of he's kind of just not fit in that series very well. But um, like I think there are definitely a lot of reasons to be excited about Jakob Pertl as sort of a modern big despite the fact that he can't shoot, although for a time this season, trivia, he was the all-time leader in three-point percentage for the Raptors when he made his first three. Um, of course, fell back down to 50%, and Nigel Hayes took him over. Um, yes. But but stay tuned for the hour-long Nigel Hayes episode later on this week. But, um, yeah, I thought Yak was just... like I think his skill set is still very useful, and I, I don't know how much to weigh how... You know, you mentioned he played 82 games. Like, I wonder how much he was just tired by the end of the season because he had played such a enormous exactly. role with that second unit, played way more minutes than he did in his first season. I wonder if that sort of caught up to him by the end of the season, and that that was why we saw him be a little little more lifeless, I think, in the playoffs than he would normally be. Um, but no, I, I overall I'm pretty excited about Yak, and I, I agree. I think while you might be sort of open to getting bruised by sort of bigger, more physical bigs, if he doesn't bulk up, I think the sort of trade-off where he can be sort of a spry guy you can have out there against a lot of different looks and, and potentially, you know, switch a couple positions, stuff like that, and to still be just like a good rotational smart defender um, without sort of sacrificing any of his athleticism, I think you would prefer that. So um, that that I totally agree with. The thing with Yak, I guess, going forward is what you sort of think of his upside and sort of how it relates to Jonas Valanciunas. Because, you know, and even Serge Ibaka. I mean, you look at this front court and, you know, that is, I think, if there's going to be a move this summer, it's probably going to come from the very expensive front court because there's ready-made replacements in Pascal Siakam and potentially Jakob Pertl, which we'll talk about. And, like, that's just, with in terms of Jonas, like, that might just be the easiest big contract to move if you're trying to get out of the tax while also not, you know, stripping away your, your ability to compete next season. As good as Jonas was this year, that might make him a more valuable trade ship at this point. Um, so let me just ask you the question. If we go, if we were to go to next season... Jakob Pertl is the starting center next to Serge Ibaka in the front court. How do you feel about that? Um, it probably wouldn't be the worst thing. I think when Masai Ujiri first drafted this guy out of Utah, um, ninth overall pick, um, I think his uh, the best case scenario for the Toronto Raptors was for him to be the successor mm-hmm. um, for Jonas Valanciunas in that center position. Um, and I think he is trending towards that. Um, again, I don't want to act like his uh, this past season was all daisies and roses for Jakob Pertl. He did struggle at certain points. He did have a really bad postseason. 
Um, but Jakob, for him, for me to look forward and say, okay, am I okay with this guy starting beside Serge Ibaka? I am. I, I really am. Um, I think you have to develop that depth behind Jakob before you can even talk about replacing JV, of course. Mm-hmm. But I think with Jakob, it's, he's definitely a guy where maybe if he puts on 5 to 10 more pounds, um, he won't fully lose his mobility. Um, he can bang with the guys inside a lot more because I think that was that was one of his biggest struggles um, this season. Um, but I, I'm I'm okay with that. I think and, and that isn't a shot towards JV because JV to me I think was easily one of the best Raptors this entire season and during the postseason. Mm. Uh, JV was definitely a guy where he would start on I'd say probably eighty percent of NBA teams. Um, so for JV, let's say hypothetically to find a new home. And for Jakob Pertl to be thrusted into that starting position, it would not be the worst uh, case scenario for the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, I mean, none of this is a slight against Jonas, as I mentioned. Like, he was excellent this year, and I think it's going to be a pretty glowing player review when we do him later this week. But, um, like, it's just a financial question at this point, and sort of when you... when, when At what point do you sort of bet on the development that you've sort of invested in and, and, and hope you can kind of get some good production from a cheap option as opposed to more uh, of a more expensive one in exchange for getting out of the tax, stuff like that. Um, the Ibaka Pirtle front court was absolutely an abomination in the playoffs, and that was a big reason for a lot of the worst Raptors runs was those two being out there. And the regular season, they only played 28 minutes together, but they were minus 5.8 uh, net rating with a 117.6 defensive rating. Obviously, tiny sample. Um, and, you know, maybe over the course of a full season, that bears out to be a little bit more fruitful because, honestly, going into this season, I thought the Ibaka Pirtle front court was going to be a pretty useful tool. I thought those guys fit pretty well together. I thought... On offense, you could have Surge sort of be the de facto four, where he's picking and popping. He's maybe standing in the corner, and Jonas, uh, sorry, Jakob can be sort of the dive man. Whereas on defense, you could have Yak maybe sort of switch out onto smaller guys whenever you want. You can have you know, both of them being at the rim is not a bad thing by any means because they're both good rim protectors. Rim, rim protectors when they're at the basket, um, yeah. and you can kind of switch responsibilities between those two. They could switch four five, you know, actions if you know there are certain teams that would run that. They're not that many, but um, like that is something you could look at, right? And it just didn't work out in the regular season. Part of that is Serge Ibaka not being particularly good, and I don't really know how to explain the rest of it. So while I think you could probably bank on it being a little bit better over the course of a full season sample, you know, factoring in that they'd be playing with the other starters as well next to OG, DeRozan, and Lowry, ideally, I think that's a lot to sort of bet on, and that's sort of uh, not not the most winning bet, right? Like, that's not the most obvious home run bet. So I, I don't know how I feel about Yak starting just yet. I, I think he has a lot of nice tools that you want from a starting center. He is a good screen center, as you met, mentioned, although not quite as good as uh, as Jonas because very few people are. Uh, he's a good rebounder, although sometimes he can get out-muscled, and maybe that'd be a problem next to Ibaka, who also tends to get out-muscled a little bit. Um, he's also a pretty good finisher, and that's nice to have next to Jonas, next to Damar and Kyle, although the sort of chemistry between those two wasn't really there. Oddly enough, I think the best pick-and-roll partner chemistry-wise for Pirtle this season was CJ Miles. Like, those two always seem to hook up. It was kind of weird, uh, really fun, but... You know, you'd have to sort of work on that connection as well. And it took, I mean, we saw with Jonas, it took years and years for DeMar and Kyle to sort of build up a rapport with him. Um, so maybe you don't want to bet on that happening. It's it's tough. Like, I, I don't really know how I feel about it. And then 
Syria to move on from Ibaka and Jonas. Like, I wonder about the Yak and Siakam front court as, like, a full-time front court until Siakam learns how to shoot threes at a plus 35% rate or whatever. I think that could get a little cramped and, and you know, hurt the spacing a little bit. So, um, I don't know. I, I would be more comfortable with Jonas starting at center next season and bringing him back. Um, you know, there's an upside play, I think, if you have Yak there and maybe he can kind of, you know, form into a guy like Clint Capella, like I said, and just be, like, a really nice anchor for the team and you, a guy you can kind of build the defense around. But uh, I do have my reservations as well, mostly because Ibaka is such a wild card at this point. Um Anything else on Jakob Pertl before we wrap this thing up? Any uh, parting shots about him? I think it's just cool to see how far Jakob's come. Um, the Raptors had the ninth pick in the 2016 draft. Um, it was the Ben Simmons draft, Jalen Brown, uh, Jamal Murray. So you had some guys that are um, definitely have the potential to be superstars in that draft and stars like Jamal Murray. Um, I remember as that ninth pick was approaching for Toronto, I really wanted them to go Thon Maker just because of that positional versatility. Mm-hmm. Um, he played in Canada for a bit, I believe in Orangeville it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was that type of connection, but I just really like Thon's game. We ended up taking Jakob Pertl, and I was a tiny bit confused, um, but two years later now, I can see Masai Ujiri's vision and what he was seeing with Jakob Pertl. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a very, very useful player around the rim. Um, like we said, he's super, super active. Um, and then you have another guy like DeMontis Sabonis who got drafted 11th. So it was Jakob 9th, Thonmaker 10th, and then Sabonis 11th. And all three have had similar impacts for their teams. Um, Sabonis started a majority of games for the Pacers this past season. Um, Jakob is, was one of the first ones off the bench for a 60-win team. And Thonmaker started his fair share of games as well for Milwaukee. So um, it's just cool, I think, for those three guys to be drafted in such a similar range. And it's going to be cool, I think, to see how um, their, I guess you can compare and contrast their careers mm-hmm. as they belong. Yeah, for sure. Uh, people were pissed off when Yak was drafted, if I recall. Yeah, people really definitely. wanted, like, Scal. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. There were a couple other guys in there that did not end up being... I think Marquise Chris was the one most people really wanted, and he got taken one pick ahead. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think people should be pretty happy with Yak. It's nice that he's still got two more years before you got to worry about stuff with his extension and stuff like that. This is the nice part of having cheap contracts, right? Like, it's just nice production for very little money, um, although it would be nice if Yak can make his nut. Uh, I'm sure he will down the road. Um, that is, uh, I think that's about it, though. We can wrap it there. So, Hall, anything you want to plug right now? Um, I guess Raptors Republic... Um we're kind of on a, I guess just like every other blog that, that that's not named Cleveland Cavaliers, Golden State Warriors, <laughs> Rockets, we're kind of on a, on a on a downswing of content we can push out. Yeah. So there's not going to be as much stuff coming out for me. Um, again, like I said in the last, last podcast, um, I have a player review coming out. I still haven't quite decided which player um, I want to do an extensive player review on or which coach, I guess you could say, um, whether it be Dwayne Casey or Masai Ujiri. Um, but... I will have some stuff out probably within the next couple of weeks or so. Um, in the meantime, I'm just enjoying this amazing weather in the city. Ha! Ha! Toronto. This uh, weather? The weather today? The 35 degrees? Amazing. You're off the podcast. Absolutely amazing. You're off the pod. Yeah, amazing. Get out I don't, of here. I don't, Sean, this, is, this has been incredible. I'm just soaked uh, in sweat all the time. I hate it. 
is terrible. No, it's definitely it's definitely an uncomfortable type weather, but at times. But I think um, we complain about it either way when it's too cold or too warm. So I do not. I like cold. Give me cold all day. I'm, I'm definitely taking advantage of this. I'm actually about to go outside, and probably just take a walk or do something in the area. I don't know, but well, I'm it was it was nice knowing you. I I I, I'm, I feel honored <laughs> to have talked to you on the day that you also died. Um, <laughs> Maybe I'm the last person you had interaction with. I don't know, but yeah, this is awesome. get the yeah. hell out of here. Uh, thanks, man. This was a lot of fun. Uh, listeners, make sure you're checking out the podcast on iTunes. Leave a rating or review. It's very helpful. Thank you so yes. much for doing that in advance. Uh, later this week, I will be doing podcasts with uh, our pal Katie Heindel. We're going to do a Fred Van Vliet review. We're going to do a Jonas Valanciunas review later in the week as well, working some on some other guests. It's going to be very exciting. We're going to, I mean, exciting as a post-season player review podcast can be, but uh, it'll be good shit. So please thank, uh, subscribe, rate, review, like as I've asked a million times before. If you haven't done it by now, I guess you're not going to, but please do it. It's very helpful. Uh, and that's going to do it for today's episode. We'll be back again on Tuesday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.